Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so grateful that you are joining me today for an interview with Catherine Hayes. And Dr. Catherine Hayes is a best-selling author and certified leadership coach, an authorized and certified Rizo Hudson Enneagram teacher and International Enneagram Association certified professional and accredited teacher, a speaker and a highly regarded influencer in the leadership field. Her book is called Everything is Going to Be Okay, from the projects to Harvard to freedom. And uh, I hear this is just an amazing story and I'm excited to dig in. So Catherine, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thanks, Andy. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you on. I have been uh, intrigued by the Enneagram lately as I have a lot of friends who are really into it. Uh, I've had one interview guest on already to kind of break down some of my results. And so I'm certainly interested in, in talking about that topic and how it can be used and important in the, the corporate space and the business space and for individuals as well, of course. Individuals make up companies, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to start with your journey, your background and your journey and what this book is all about, going from the projects to Harvard to this idea of freedom. So let's start there. Tell me your story. Sure. So it really revolves around my Enneagram type, which is type 3, the overachiever. And you know, I grew up a you know, very poor. You know, I didn't realize as a kid, you don't really realize that. And grew up in the projects in um, Boston, lived there for 22 years, and but was always just a really hard worker and worked my tail off and ended up getting a couple of doctoral degrees, um, being at Harvard, being a professor, associate professor at Harvard. And then I had an accident. I slipped on black ice. I don't actually remember the details of the accident, but there were witnesses. My dog got excited to go to the pet store. And I lost my footing, boom, landed backwards on my head. I was out cold. Don't remember any of that. That's the brain's capacity to protect us, right? Yeah. But what I do remember very clearly is when I started to wake up, I felt numbness to the tip of every finger and every toe. I thought I might be paralyzed. But most, even more profoundly, was there's this huge like message, like a thought, an intuition that just bursted through my whole body like a thunderbolt. I just got the chills as I, and it said, it's time to change your life. 
time to change my life. Yeah, you know, I was kind of on the fast track working, getting success, right? But really that was my personality. So for the Enneagram, it's all about understanding your personality types. You can really uncover what's underneath it. So for me, it was, I was just working, working, working my whole life and not really connecting with my heart and what I really wanted in this world. So fast forward, so many synchronicities here. A year to the day after that accident, I meet my Enneagram teacher, Russ Hudson. He wrote the forward for the book. I had read about and taken a couple of workshops on the Enneagram in the early 90s. This is now like 2005 that the accident happened. But no one really at that time knew what the Enneagram was. So there was really no one to talk with about it. Anyway, long story short, my friends were going to an Enneagram workshop with Russ Hudson. And I didn't even think about the date I went. But and as I was there, as a, a realizing, oh my gosh, this is one year to the day from the accident. And the way Russ taught the Enneagram, I was able to... Uh, he teaches it with a lot of compassion and a kind of a deep way. I was able to see this overachiever in me. It's amazing how we are blind to some of our obvious personality traits. And it really put me on this path of going inside and trying to find myself more. So I came back to my office. I was still teaching full-time at Harvard. And I came back to my office on that Monday. It was a weekend workshop. And I remember feeling like I feel like I had been like in this vast universe and then I was kind of poured through this funnel and I was tightly constricted at my desk without much room to move. And I went online to find Russ's book. What I found was he, that he had uh, workshops that were longer, like five, six day workshops. And I thought, oh, that would be fabulous. So checked to see when the next one was and it was in six weeks. And it happened. I live in Boston. The workshop happened to be in San Francisco, one of my favorite cities. But here's the thing. This has never happened before. It's never happened since. I had an open airline ticket to San Francisco. I was doing some expert witness consulting for a firm and they bought me a ticket to come out and testify, but then they settled the case. So I had this ticket that I had to use and I thought, okay, that's too much of a coincidence. I went and it was a life-changing experience, really immersed. And it helped me in the title from the projects to Harvard to freedom. The freedom came from realizing I didn't have to be that overachiever anymore. And it's really not about what you do in this world. It's about who you are. So that's what I bring into my leadership coaching is helping people see, well, who am I? What are my gifts? What are my strengths? What are my talents? And also look at like my blind spot, not realizing I was an overachiever. It was quite obvious to everyone else. Helping people with a lot of compassion, no judgment, shine the light on some of those blind spots. So it really brings them into a much more greater state of wholeness. And from there, they can lead so much more effectively. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast. It's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. 
Thanks, and on to the episode. And I recently took the, the um, Enneagram assessment as well, and I, I was very close between a seven and a three, I think. But yeah. turned out I'm pretty sure I'm a seven. Okay. And uh, I think one of the delineations there maybe, you know, a lot of people might think of me as an overachiever, but I'm not a sort of achievement at all cost. My goal is to get the most out of life. That's what, you know, what I want to achieve. Right. And so everything I do is for that cause, not just achievement for the sake of achievement. Sure. You know, threes and sevens often get confused because they're both very busy. But as you said, it's for different reasons. You know, if we think of a newborn infant, you know, when we hold that infant, they're so pure by, they haven't developed their personality yet. But one of the theories behind the Enneagram is as our personality develops in these nine different ways, it's developing in reaction to something it perceives as been taken away from that pure essential state. So for the type three, it's value. So the type three personality is all about, I've got to get that value back. So I keep doing achieving. For the type seven, it's joy and freedom. Mm -hmm. I've got to try this. I've got to try that. You know, so this, it's really about an enthusiasm for life. We call them the enthusiasts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I saw that word freedom in your title, I was like, oh, great. I'm so excited about this because everything I do is about getting that freedom. Sure. Right. I don't have anybody holding me down. <laughs> I'm excited about that. So, and you mentioned, you know, our, our greatest strengths kind of becoming weaknesses or possibly holding us back in different areas. I noticed that uh, I looked at your LinkedIn profile. So you're also certified in the Hogan assessment, mm-hmm. uh, which I got certified in as well. And to me, the biggest thing that stands out for, to me for that is to go to someone and do an assessment and say, here are the things that are your biggest strengths and they will become your biggest weaknesses if you go too far. Is it? Do you think it's yeah. similar in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. I, every Enneagram type has wonderful strengths. We all have wonderful strengths. But when we're, when we're really fixated on them, like if, if you were like just, I got to pursue freedom at all costs and forgetting about your family and everyone around you, it wouldn't be a strength, right? But when you bring that enthusiasm for life to those around you, that's a wonderful strength. Similarly with, you know, in in our leadership, if we can have that balance, I often think of like a pendulum swinging, you know, it swings too far this way or that way, you know, we're out of balance, but eventually it lands in the middle. And the more we can understand our personality type, the more we can have that balance of not being reactive and, and being more kind of grounded and calm and, and able to handle whatever challenges come our way. Yeah. And you made a big shift with this as well. You mentioned this freedom getting out of the, out of the you know, realizing that you are such an overachiever. You said you, you got a couple um, doctor degrees from Harvard and this was in medicine and dentistry or what were you working on? Yeah. So I have a, a dental degree from Tufts and then I have a master's and a doctorate in epidemiology or public health from Harvard. And I was, you know, full-time academics teaching and doing research and kind of took a step back and um, really did a lot more kind of inner work, spiritual work. You know, for my own personal growth, I continue with the Enneagram and really studied it deeply, still do after many years, 13 years. It's amazing that much time can pass. Yeah, I know. It's been a long time. And it has enriched my life so much that I decided to, you know, get certified and, and use it in my work. And, you know, when I was in academics, I saw, as I'm sure with any kind of industry, we see exemplary leaders, people that inspire us. And then you see some that maybe, maybe don't inspire us so much. And I decided I really wanted to take all of this, my kind of work with my various uh, leadership roles that I held before and the inner work and kind of put them together. 
and help leaders to really lead from that place, lead from the heart, lead from the truth of who they are, not having to prove things and always be right or, you know, be the one on top. Just, just be. Let's talk about that inner work and this idea of not having to prove yourself. I think that personally, I'm a big believer in that. I've done a lot of inner work in myself. I'm a big believer in personal development and personal growth and uh, a big fan of all of that. And I know a lot of people are, are not exposed to or not into it. You said something, it's not about what you do in this world. It's about who you are. Mm-hmm. And what do you say to the many people who might be listening to this or hear something like that and say, well, what do you mean? Who I am is what I do, right? Mm-hmm. Most people define who they are by what they do, whether it's their job or their role or their actions overall, um, defining who they are. Yeah, that's a, such a great question. And I was certainly in that for so many years myself that our society kind of gives us uh, positive feedback for you know, being successful, having the big titles, et cetera. But you know, we're, there's so much more to us. For example, you know, for me, it was achieve, achieve. And I honestly, I was so unconscious that I was doing that. But really underneath it all, like I have a huge heart and I love to help people to live a life that's more peaceful, to live a life that's more whole and more balanced. And so our identity of our work or even even if it's someone who doesn't necessarily work, but, you know, I'm a good person. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways we can identify. But really, our ego or our personality is always going to constrict. So we're not... Think of that newborn baby. If you think of like this, you know, if I were teaching this at a workshop, I'd use a piece of white flip chart paper, completely blank. And then as our personality develops, what happens is that we start to contract. So I would roll that flip chart paper up into a ball. That's our ego. When we do it in our work, what we start to do is we start to unfold that ego and start to look at, well, what was it that made me contract? What do I react to? Do I react to, I need to be right all the time? Do I react to, I need to be the strong one? Do I need to be the smartest one? We all have different ways of contracting. So the more we can not judge ourselves and say, you know, that's just how I developed this personality. It's how it was in my life. And I'm not going to judge myself. But we start to expand more back to that big white uh, flip chart paper. But now there's wrinkles and crevices. And that's experience and wisdom. So I think it's very common. And you see this a lot when people retire. That What do I do? I, mean, I have a list a mile long of things that I want to do when I retire. But for some people, it's really scary because that's all they know. But there's so much more. Yeah, their, their identity is totally wrapped up in that role that they've been playing, the things they've been doing at work, the company they worked for, uh, and now they have this whole other space. Now, you said you, you take all that stuff and you, you ball it up and that's your ego. Tell me more about the ego. How is it that the ego gets in the way or, or holds people back? Yeah. So the ego is not necessarily a bad thing. We all develop one. Right. You know, you, you have young kids. I have two granddaughters and I'm kind of watching the five-year-old especially develop her personality. Mm. Part of human development to, you know, think of that blank slate of the infant. We can't really function in the world in this state of like blissful being. But what happens is as we develop that ego, we develop these identities. We develop these ways of having to be in the world. So the ego keeps us in a very kind of constricted, limited role and then we also have the superego, or sometimes people call it the inner critic. That's the one that's always kind of shaming us, but it's doing that to keep us in the ego. The ego isn't necessarily a bad thing, but really it's 
it kind of outlives its purpose as we grow older because it limits us in so many ways. So I'll give you another example. I talked about type three, my type, but let's talk about the type one, which we often call the perfectionist or the judge. If you think of that newborn infant, when we're around an infant and hold them, you know, they're, they're sacred. There's nothing bad about them. They're good. They're sacred. That personality is formed in reaction to that being taken away. So this, these people are always trying to be seen as good, to be good, to be right. That can get exhausting and tiring, and it also can push people away. The more they can just relax into the, the truth of the fact that they never lost that connection to goodness, that they are inherently good, the less that ego has a hold on them. And think of someone like uh, Mahatma Gandhi. He's a perfect example of a type one at a high level. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his ego, but he gave his life over to truth and justice to make the world a better place. And so there's a difference between I've got to be right and I see something wrong here in the world and I'd like to help make it better. So it becomes less about the individual, more about service to the greater whole. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and some say... We talked about this idea of retirement earlier, people getting their identities wrapped up in the work they were doing, that sometimes the solution to that is finding a greater cause, serving or teaching others to keep you fulfilled through the second or third phase of life, or whatever you'd call it. You know, when yeah. you get towards that retirement age and you're no longer, you know, you're working for a company or running a business or something like that. Sure. Yeah, I think that's that's a great statement because in with the if we go back to the Enneagram, at their highest levels, all of the Enneagram types are about service. So it's not about the ego, it's about really providing some service to the world. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So you mentioned the Enneagram many times. And I know you're a big fan of it. You use it with a lot of your work. Um, as I mentioned, you know, brought up earlier, you're certified in Hogan. Do you see them as competing tools or complementary tools? Because there's a lot of tools out there, right? DISC and MBTI and Hogan and just a host of other assessments. And then I've been hearing more and more about Enneagram lately, not as much in the corporate space, but starting to seems to be creeping in. Do you use it with other tools or do you see it as like, hey, this is the one thing that can, can cover everything? So that's an, an excellent question. Um, I pretty much use it on its own. I also use it with something called the Leadership Circle profile. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a, no. it's a 360 tool 
that's a really a wonderful tool and it helps people to identify what their gaps are. And I find that those gaps are really correlated well with the Enneagram types. The reason I use the Enneagram, you know, I am certified in these other things, as you mentioned, and there's nothing wrong with them. What I find with the Enneagram is there's really a path to help people to grow. For example, our personality type is our personality type. That doesn't change, but what can change is there's these nine levels of health within each type. The less identified we are with our type, so for example, the type one, like, I've got to be right, I've got to be good, that's really being identified with the ego. The more we can see, and someone's probably not aware that that's what they're doing, so the more they, we can shine the light on that and have them really show that that they can bring that goodness to others, it helps them personally in their own personal life, but it helps their team. What I see as the distinction between the Enneagram and the others is that there's a path for growth. And the Enneagram is its actually an ancient wisdom. It's been around for thousands of years, although it hasn't really become known until probably about the last 40 or so, which is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I know it's been around for many, many years, the last 40 or so, you, like you mentioned. Um, I mentioned after I got exposed to it, I mentioned to my mom and she told me that uh, my grandfather was big into Enneagram in the 1980s. Oh. Went to, uh, traveled out to California for some workshop on it. So I guess it goes back in my family. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about the working world. You told me before we started recording that you're, you're, you do a lot of leadership coaching. You work with executives, but you also work with new and middle managers and you really enjoy working with them and use the Enneagram in that coaching work. Tell me about how and why that's really useful for you in the work you do as a leadership coach. Sure. Well, I think one of the most important aspects of good leadership, effective leadership is self-awareness. Because a good leader is someone who really has to stay grounded and, you know, in the middle of the fire and the chaos, still be able to make decisions, not be reactive, not be, you know, directive and boss-like, but be able to manage and also be collaborative. So what I have found is that helping people to see some of their unconscious patterns of behavior, they kind of loosen their hold on the individual. So the individual becomes less reactive. That's one of the reasons I like the leadership circle profile. So for example, if you have an individual who people are having a hard time with, so the 360 might show that they're too directive, they're very bossy, they're kind of belittling, that kind of thing. Now the individual may not even realize that, but when they get this feedback, what do you do with it? So that could be um, an Enneagram type that we call the, the type eight, the challenger, the boss. And that that personality is formed around a perceived disconnect from a sense of strength. So they're always having to be strong, you know? And so I got to, I got to be the tough guy or the tough woman. I got to be the strong one. I got to be the strongest, but really one of the underlying fears that they have is of losing control. And so they have a hard time showing vulnerability, but when they do their heart is, we've talked about the magnanimous heart of the type eight. And what a wonderful leader if you have both strength, the natural strength, not the manufactured strength, and a huge heart. Those make wonderful leaders. So I help people to see, again, not with any judgment, but what some of their unconscious patterns might be and further what, how that's impacting their team. And then how can they make those changes so that they can be a more effective part of that team and really lead that team? Can you share an example of where you've worked with a, a manager or a leader who's used this and, and um, been able to change how they work or become more effective as a result? Yeah. 
I'll use your type, type seven. Okay. So um, worked with a, a young man and I'm not going to use names or companies, obviously, but really bright, energetic guy. And sometimes that was perceived by others on his team as him being, I know it all, or I'm in charge. Are we gonna... And sevens, as you know, they tend, they're really bright. Their brain is always working. So they can be about 10 steps ahead of everyone else. And they're already onto the next idea before other people are catching up with the first one. And so sometimes people feel like, oh, who do you think you are kind of thing? And that's not who they are at all. And what he would often do too is because he was 10 steps ahead, he would often just go on his own and, and do it without really bringing the team in. So one of the things I had him do was to, to think of a time in his life when being collaborative or doing something with another or, was really fun. And he thought about, he takes uh, trips, international trips with his brother every year. And he had this um, elephant that he got, I believe in India, and it was an elephant inside another elephant. So there was two and it reminded, so he put it on his desk and instead of him going, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this report or this project by myself. He would send an email or pick up the phone and bring someone in. So it just reminded him to, you know what? No one's ever going to be able to keep up with you, but you can't lead that way because people are going to be frustrated. So slow it down a little bit let them catch up and let them be part of it. And actually for him, it has really helped him so much. And not only in his own productivity, but in the just the temperature of the team and how he gets along and how he's now received in a much more positive way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I can see where that could be really helpful. And you mentioned earlier, this idea of helping leaders uh, see their blind spots, right? So they don't get caught up because they've got the strength that, you know, they are, this guy is a, a visionary and he's out in front, charging ahead, moving to the next idea, but he's leaving people behind. And so some of those strengths can become blind spots, can become weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And you're using that to bring awareness. For people listening that might be in talent development, working with people, developing them, maybe even doing a little bit of coaching, if they're not that familiar with the Enneagram, what's the best way for people to get started using it? Is there like training they should go to, certification? You know, what, what's the best way to get going? That's a great question. Um, so I did my training with uh, Don Riso, who sadly has passed away, but uh, at Russ Hudson, that's the Enneagram Institute. And I believe they have started their trainings again. There's also the um, Enneagram and the Narrative Tradition, the Worldwide Enneagram. They do trainings as well. I would say one of the first things they might want to do is to read about it a, a bit. One of my favorite books, and there are many books out there, but one book that I love and I still refer to and recommend to all my clients is called The Wisdom of the Enneagram. And it's written by John Riso and Russ Hudson. And it beautifully describes each of the types, also the levels of health within each of the types. And there's a whole nother layer called the instincts. And they take a very complex system. And I think they make it very available to people. So I might start by reading a book, uh, Wisdom of the Enneagram. The Enneagram Institute also has a very generous website where they have a lot of descriptions of these types. They also have an assessment. Now, just one caveat, there's no perfect Enneagram assessment because there's a lot of dynamism with the Enneagram. We have influences by the types on either side of us. We're also influenced by a type that we kind of gravitate towards when things are going well and type that we gravitate towards when things are not going so well. So there's some variability. So I, I say that because there is no assessment that can 100% of the time capture your type. 
but the one with the Enneagram Institute, and I'm sure others as well, your top three scores are likely one of your scores, uh, one of, excuse me, your predominant type. And so what I say to people when they're interested in learning about the Enneagram is that Enneagram, unlike some of these other things such as DISC, MBTI, Hogan, the Enneagram is the starting point for your kind of leadership development. It's, it's not, okay, you're a three, see you later. It's like, okay, I'm a three. Hmm. This is how I show up. Wow. This is my impact. Wow. This is what it's, this is what it's costing me. How can I break free of this ego and these personality patterns and be a much more collaborative leader, impactful leader, effective leader, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. It's it's bringing more awareness to how people work, how they lead, how we live our lives, mm-hmm. uh, and helping us get better. I mean, it certainly brought some more awareness to me when I first took it. And I know there's, like you said, it's not a, there's no perfect assessment. Um, there's some gray lines, and so I've been looking at it. My wife and I have many conversations about it, uh, and I'm sure there'll be many more. I'm curious, as you are out there working with a lot of executives and leaders in the the corporate space. Are there any big trends that you're noticing from a talent development perspective that are changing how people work? I think that people are becoming more focused on developing themselves, you know, who they are, how they show up, and not necessarily just their capacities, their abilities, their talents, for example. Like there, there's so much more emphasis on, well, who am I and how am I impacting people and not just getting another certification or another training or another degree, but how can I, boy, I, you know, I've accomplished all this, but I'm still not impactful. Just kind of taking the step back and looking at, well, how am I affecting other people? So I feel like there's more about, well, you hear a lot about executive presence. I mean, that's one, one way of putting it. I call it self-awareness, you know, really bringing your whole self to work. So it's not just, and this is the thing about the Enneagram too, there's three centers, head, heart, belly. We've been so focused in our head with all the things that we've done as a society. But really, I think it's now bringing on the heart and the body center as well. Because the body, when we're grounded in the body, we're grounded in this moment. We're not worrying about the past or the future. When we're grounded in our body and we connect with our heart, that's when our our brilliant mind can be unleashed. And this is so important for seven, right? To have that brilliant mind. And that's why the seven is connected to the five and the five has the gift of clarity. And that's the point of growth for the seven. So it's like a slowing down and taking all those ideas and getting some clarity. Wow. That's when the brilliance comes through. Beautiful. I love finding brilliance mm-hmm. and, uh, and complimenting, you know, learning more about my strengths and complimenting my strengths so that I can spend time in, in any of those areas. Yeah. Last question I'll ask you, Catherine, is for anybody listening in the talent development space, we talked about how they can get more involved in using the Enneagram with their people. As you're working with a lot of organizations, you see what managers, executives are doing and what they're struggling with. What's one more piece of advice you would give for talent development leaders that are trying to help their organizations keep their people engaged and productive and doing the best work as possible? What a great question. I think the best thing we can do is to help people develop their strengths and not focus on their weaknesses. There's been this kind of culture of, you know, performance improvement plans and you got to do this, you got to do that. And okay, that's fine. But really it's helping people to be the best that they can be and bring that because when they are connected with the truth of who they are and they can bring their best self forward, they're going to be highly effective. 
much more so than when they're being kind of... So instead of a punitive approach, I would say an expansive approach, a supportive approach, uh, an encouraging approach. Makes sense. Excellent. Um, all right. And for anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you, Catherine, find out more about the work you do, maybe learn more about the Enneagram, where's the best place for them to go? So I have a website, katherinehayscoaching.com. And my email is katherine at katherinehayscoaching.com. It's a mouthful, but... <laughs> katherinehayscoaching.com. Great. And uh, the book, again, is called Everything is Going to Be Okay, From the Projects to Harvard to Freedom. <laughs> I love freedom. So I'll be checking that out. Uh, Catherine, thanks for coming on and sharing some of your wisdom and experience around the Enneagram uh, and your story as well. I really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners do as well. So thanks for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. What a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.